Welcome to the Lisper Podcast. I'm your host, Tyrone, and today's episode is going to be about Quentin Tarantino. Um, Quentin Tarantino is a writer, movie writer, and director, and he's one of my favorite movie writers and directors. And um, I decided to do this podcast uh, episode about him today because he has said a while ago that one, he only want, really wanted to do 10 movies. And that's 10 movies meaning 10 movies being written and directed by him, like 10 movies that was all his. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood marks his 10th film that was written and directed by him. And so I'm thinking that he might be done. He's got a 35-year-old wife. And she's supposedly pregnant right now. So he might be like, you know, settling down and getting uh, and having a baby and taking care of his baby. And he's done his 10th film. So we might not get anything more from Quentin Tarantino, which is sad to me because I think that he's great. And I think that um, he should do a a full-blown comedy because some of his movies have like a lot of funniness in them. Like some of his movies are very, uh, have funny very funny parts in him and and you can tell that he does have a a, a weird crew but it's, it's like it's there though he does have a good sense of humor where he can put some funny stuff into situations that aren't supposed to be funny like dark comedy style so i think that if he did a whole like comedy film that that would be great i also think that he didn't do a horror movie and i think that quentin tarantino should do a horror movie in fact i really think that quentin tarantino should do should recover the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street series. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. I love the series. I didn't think the remake was that good, but I mean, with with Halloween keep coming back, and and Jason keep coming back, and all these other horror movies that keep getting remade and remade and remade and rebrought back by the life by other people and this and that, I think that he should take over the Nightmare on Elm Street series. I think that he has the uh, the movie writing ability, and I also think that he has the crude humor to make Freddy you know, to make Freddie a little funny like he was, the crude humor to make him like Freddie bust jokes and, and be a little bit funny but still kill your ass. You know, I think that Tarantino would be perfect at writing stuff like that. I even all may almost think that he could play Freddie. I mean, Tarantino's a weirdo dude. He looks weird. He He's kind of like, he's got a good uh, acting ability and he looks kind of weird and he's kind of, you know, he, I think that he would get the movements down pack. He's a study of art. You know, he's a study of the art of making films. You know what I mean? You can tell he studies movies. He studies the art of making films. He he likes that kind of old school stuff. So he would study, you know, like Robert Englund's movements. He would study Freddy. And even if he didn't play Freddy, he would find somebody to play Freddy and he would direct him as to how to do it. He would direct him as to how to actually be Freddy. And, and, and because he has that nostalgia and all that stuff, uh, I believe that he would... um. He would do it right, and I just we, I, I I just hope that he would. I mean, I wish I could get a petition together to to, to do that. I think that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get a petition together to ask Quentin Tarantino to do, to write and direct the the, the relive the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street series, revive it, bring it back, write and direct the new Nightmare on Elm Street. I, I'm, I'm gonna do that. I think I'm gonna get that position together. But um, yeah, I just like Quentin Tarantino. So first, I'm gonna talk about him as a man, like. I like him. I think he's a good writer-director, but I like him. Like, I think something's wrong with him, and I don't know. I haven't Wikipedia'd him or nothing like that to see if, like, he's been diagnosed with anything in his life. But something's wrong with him. You ever see him? You see him uh, do his interviews. You see him, like, in the, even in the movies, you see him, like, 
he's weird. Like his his his, his voice is weird. The way he talks is weird. His movements. He, he he's almost like something's wrong with him. And if something's wrong with him, that's fine. That's great, actually. That makes him even better. If something's wrong with him, that makes him even better because the man is a genius. You know, he's a genius. And and everybody can't. You know, people throw that genius word out there a lot, but he's a genius. You gotta be a genius nowadays if you can put something out in entertainment and put ten of them out and not have a bad one. Because in my opinion, not one of his movies is bad. Now they're not all great, and there are some that I might skip if I see it on TV. I might skip it. There are some that I'm like, eh, you know, I went to the theaters and seen all of them. But there are some that I'm like, eh, you know, I could have waited for the DVD on that. You know what I mean? But I still like it. I still want to watch it, but I could have waited for the DVD. But, you know, if you put 10 things out into the world in, in the entertainment business and you cannot get a bad one, that's great. Like, look at music. Look at music. How many musicians do you know can put 10 albums out and not get a bad one? You know what I mean? So, based on that alone, if Jay-Z put 10 albums out and they'd be like, damn, you know, two of them wasn't that good, but it's Jay-Z, Jay-Z gets credit because he might have did seven banging-ass albums and album number eight ain't that good, but it's Jay-Z, so you'd be like, uh, it's Jay-Z, though. So you don't say it's bad even though you don't like it. I might be doing some of that. I might be doing some of that with Quentin, like, damn, Quentin did, you know, he did eight good movies, nine and ten, I was like, and, but, you know, it's Quentin. You, you know, you, you get some of that, too. But the fact of the matter is, even eight, even seven. If you're a musician right now, you can have seven successful, good albums. You are a genius. You are, you've got the world by the balls, and that's just it. So even if three of his movies are bad, even if one of them is terrible, he still put ten things of entertainment out into the world that was successful. That wasn't rejected, at least. So I got to give him credit for that. Now, the other thing is, the writers and directors don't get a lot of credit for movies and that's a shame to me because it's there the movie is really theirs the movie is really theirs if you think about it if you think about it the movie is really theirs the person who wrote the movie that's their movie they wrote it so everything that mostly happens in it is is there the writer the screenwriter and the director is theirs the person who wrote it they wrote it and even if they don't write and direct like Tarantino, if they direct it, the director has a lot to do with it too. The director, you know, sets the mood. The director sets the lighting. The director sets up the movie, sets the scenes, make sure the actors act the scene out in the proper manner. The director has a lot to do with the movie. The director and the writer have more to do with the movie than the people who get credit for the movie. And you know who are the people who get credit for the movie? The actors. The actors get all the credit. You think about it. Every time people... People don't really be knowing who the movie be written and directed by. People don't really even look. Unless they think that there's a scene that's going to be after the credits. They don't even look at the credits. As soon as that movie go off, boom, they out the door. Unless it's like a Marvel film and they waiting for that extra scene or something. But other than that, no, people don't even look at the credits. People don't even know who wrote the movie that they're watching. People don't even know who directed the movie that they're watching unless they're some big-time director. If it's a big-time director, they know only because it'll say in the previews or it'll say when, uh, you know, as, during the movie advertisement, directed by Steven Spielberg. You know what I mean? Okay, so you know Steven Spielberg directed it because you've been told it 50 times. But if you hadn't been told 50 times that Steven Spielberg directed the movie, you wouldn't have fucking know. 
Or when they be like, you know, Quentin Tarantino too. All this stuff is written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. You know, soon as the soon as the advertisements come on, soon as the uh, the previews come on, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. So you know Tarantino wrote and directed, but you only know it because they told you. But for the most part, we as a people, not me, because I'm different. I like movies, but I like to know who wrote them. I like to know who directed them because I'm a writer. So I look into like who wrote that. Like, damn, that was good. I I could write something like that. I look into that kind of shit. So I'm different. But for the most part. People don't um, care about who wrote the movie, who directed the movie. They care about who's in it. And, uh, all, you know, so the, the the actors get credit for it. When they see a Denzel movie, they be like, damn, y'all saw that new Denzel movie? Like, yeah, that shit was good. Denzel made a good movie. Like, Denzel didn't make that movie. Denzel, Denzel took a script and he did what he does. He acted in it. He took the script and he acted in the movie. Now, he might have made it better than it was. It might It could have been a bad script. And then Zell did good in it, made it made it seem like a decent movie. Or it could have been a good script. And then Zell killed it because it was a good-ass script and good-ass movie. And then Zell and whoever else was in there killed it. We don't know. But the other thing is this, too, is that the actors um, are not the people who make the movies. And then it'd be like, even when they're bad movies, it's like this. is like Eddie Murphy gets the blame for bad movies that he was in. And it's like Eddie Murphy didn't make those movies. Eddie Murphy didn't write him. Eddie Murphy did make some movies, but the movies that he made wasn't bad. I think he's um I think he was behind all of the nutty professors. I liked them. They were funny. I thought they were good. You know, it's just that um Eddie Murphy been in some bad movies, and I'm using him as an example because people have said he's been in some bad movies. But the thing is, he is um they're not his movies. If an actor's in a bad movie and it don't say like if Tom Cruise is in a bad movie and his movie don't say written and directed by Tom Cruise, then it's not his. It's the it's it's the the person who wrote and directed the movie. It's the the studio's film. It ain't Tom Cruise's. And and you might say, oh well, Tom Cruise. They still try to blame. Oh well, Tom Cruise shouldn't have took that movie. He should have known better. No, no, no. We don't know why actors take the movies that they take. You know, actors have their own you know criteria for why they take a movie or what movies they're going to be in. They have their own criteria for that. They do. And so it's like. Maybe he might say, hey, if my mom say take this motherfucking movie, I'm taking it. So he might read the script and go to his mom and say, mom, they gave me a script for this movie. And it's blah, 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 blah. And his mom say, oh, son, do that movie. And he might, okay, I'm doing it. My mom said, do it, I'm doing it. Or his wife, one of his kids might any, meeny, miny, mold his scripts. He might flip a coin on some motherfucking movies. Or, you know, or his bank account might tell him to do a movie. This bank account might be like, yo, Tom, you know, you got a $10 million house and you ain't done a movie in like two years. And uh, we going down, son. So, I mean, you, you know, what they want for that movie, $15 million, take it. We need it. You know what I mean? Because my bank account will tell me to do a movie. I don't care. You could be doing, you can offer me Pootie Tang 2 right now. You can say, Tyrone, they want you to star in Pootie Tang Part 2 right now. And my bank account will be like, take it. Get on, get it on. You know what I mean? My bank account would tell me to take that movie. My mom would tell me to take that movie. My wife would tell me to take that movie. My dog would tell me to take that movie. Ruff, ruff, take it. Ruff, ruff, take it. You know what I mean? So, um, actors take films depending on their situation or depending on whatever their criteria is for um, taking movies. But it ain't theirs. It ain't theirs. 
If you see somebody in a movie that says written and directed by Quentin Tarantino and you don't like the movie, it's not because Uma Thurman sucked. It's not because Tim Roth sucked. It's not because Samuel L. Jackson sucked. It's not because Michael Madsen sucked. It's not because Daryl Hannah sucked. <clears throat> no. We all know they're good actors and actresses. <clears throat> we know they're good. We know they know how to act. So when you see a good actor in a bad movie, you should know that the movie sucks. And you should give the credit to the person who wrote and directed the movie. Like, yo, that writing director sucks. Denzel was still good, though, because Denzel's good. <coughs> okay, that's my thing. You, you know, if you know the actor's good, then give him credit for, you know, damn, Denzel picked a bad movie. You can say that. You can say Tom Cruise picked a bad movie. But you can't say they were bad in it. They're actors. They do their job, and you know they know how to do their job. So, whatever. But I mentioned those same people because that's another thing I like about Quentin Tarantino. If you see a Tarantino film, you gonna see the homies. <clears throat> maybe not all of the homies, and maybe not all of the time, but for the most part, you gonna see the homies. Look at uh, look at all his ten movies. Samuel Jackson is the homie. Samuel Jackson is his boy. Samuel Jackson been riding with Tarantino, and Tarantino finds places to put Samuel Jackson in almost every one of his movies. He did 10 films, I, I swear Samuel's in eight of them. At least eight. He's a star of two. He's a star of three, matter of fact. He's a star of three of them off the bat. He's a star of three of them, you know? He's a star of Pulp Fiction, he's a star of Jackie Brown, and he's a star in, um, in The Hateful Eight. So he's like a main character in three of them, off the, off, you know, straight from the door. So, you know, Timothy Roth, I think, is in like three of them. I know he's in Pulp Fiction. I know he's in Reservoir Dogs. Michael Madsen's in Reservoir Dogs. Michael Madsen's in uh, the Kill Bill series. And then he was supposed to be making a, another movie, maybe like a Kill Bill or a spinoff with Mike Madsen and uh, and uh, and John Travolta for the for the Vegas the Vega Brothers. That never happened, but he was, like, connecting them so that he can use the same people. Uma Thurman, he wrote the bride role for her. There was nobody else getting that role. He wrote that for her. He cast on Pulp Fiction. He loved her. He wrote that role for her. Nobody else was going to be the bride. He let Vivica get it on. He um he wrote uh, Jackie Brown for Pam Greer, and specifically for her. He wanted her to be in it, specifically Pam Greer. He wrote that for her. So, you know, he... he he looks out for his homies. Or maybe they call him. Maybe they know, like, oh, Tarantino gonna make a Harvey Cartel to another one. But, you know, they be like, maybe Tarantino be like, I'm about to make a new movie. I'm about to write a new script or something. Or they or they hear about it. They might call him up. Yo, yo, Quinn. I, I imagine that they call him Quinn. I imagine it. I, I don't know what they call him. I don't know if he's one of those guys that my name's Quentin. Or he wants to be called Tarantino or boss. Whatever he wants to be called. But I'm just imagining. I'm just imagining Samuel Jackson go, Quinn, Quinn. My man, Quinn, I heard you doing something, motherfucker. You know what I mean? He might call him up like that and try to get in on him. I don't know, but I just know that, it, you know, he 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 supports his homies. He goes to his peoples. I know that. He said, if I come up, you come up. So I know that Uma Thurman, I know that Samuel Jackson, I know that Timothy Roth, Harvey Cartel, Mike Madsen, I know they never go broke. I think that Quentin Tarantino said he wanted to do 10 films. I think if Samuel L. Jackson got in trouble with the IRS right now, Quentin Tarantino would make a movie and put him in it just to, just to pay his IRS bill. 
That's how I feel. I feel like Quentin Tarantino, like, he bigs up the homies. So I like that, too. Now, let me, um, let me get into some of these movies. And the first movie I'm going to get into, y'all already know. Y'all already know. If y'all know Quentin Tarantino, or if y'all know me, or if y'all know anything, y'all know that the first movie I'm going to get into is Pulp Fiction. And you know why the first movie I'm going to get into is Pulp Fiction? Because Pulp Fiction is his best movie. And Pulp Fiction is... To me, the greatest movie that was ever made. Oh no! Oh no! What about Star Wars? Oh no! What about the Godfather? Oh no! What about um Avatar? What about Avengers Endgame? What about them? <clears throat> I said to me, Pulp Fiction is the greatest movie ever made. I know you people out there, your Star Wars people out there, your Avatar people out there, your um, Avengers Endgame. I'm an Avengers Endgame person. I'm a Star Wars person. I like a lot of the Star Wars. Not all of them, but a lot of them. I like Avengers Endgame. I thought it was great. I enjoyed it. I watched it. It's cool. I like Infinity War. I didn't like Avatar. I did not like Avatar. I don't know what... I don't know what the hell Avatar... Like, Avatar... I guess people like blue people. I don't know. I didn't like Avatar at all. I don't put Avatar up there, but Avatar was like the highest grossing movie in the history of the world or something. So, you know, it's up there. The Godfathers, I love them. I love those movies. They up there. They in my rankings. But for me, Pulp Fiction is my greatest movie of all time. And in a close second place, for me, is Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is a great movie. Forrest Gump is a great actor. For Tim, for Tom Hanks to, to, to pull that role off, and I'm giving him credit as an actor, not as for the movie. I'm giving him credit as an actor. Like, he was good as hell. In that Forrest Gump movie playing that, you know, playing Forrest. That was good. So, I mean, I really enjoy Forrest Gump. I really think Forrest Gump is a great movie. I think it's one of the greatest of all time. <clears throat> my bad. And um, to tell you the truth, Forrest Gump would be my number one. Forrest Gump would be my greatest movie of all time except for one simple reason. Y'all want me to tell you that reason? That reason is because... I'm what church people would like to call a heathen. Remember back in the day? Remember uh, Sanford and Son? Remember Aunt Esther? He's always calling them heathen. You heathen. You heathen. You heathen. Because he was a church person. They was heathen. Well, that's what I am. I can't help it. I'm a heathen. I, I try not to be. You know? I try not to be that person. I try not for church. Not for church. But just in general, you don't want to be a, 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 a considered a heathen. It's kind of like a bad person almost, I think. I don't really know what heathen means, but I know that as far as church people concerned, I'm a heathen. And um, I try not to be a heathen too much, but it's in my blood, it's in my body, I can't take it out. And so, Pulp Fiction beats out uh, Forrest Gump simply because of killing and cussing. Because of killing and cussing. Because I like killing and I like cussing in my movies. And I can admit that a movie can be good without killing and cussing. And I can admit that a movie can be good without um without bad stuff in it. Like, I like a couple of the cartoon movies that my kids used to watch, that I used to watch with my kids. I like Avengers. There's not a lot of killing and cussing in Avengers. I like that kind of stuff. I like the Lego films. The Lego movies were good. I just saw uh, the other Lego movie with my little young behind. And I like that movie. We had fun watching. I enjoyed it. But at the end of the day, my favorite movies, the movies that I want to see, the movies that I put on the upper echelon besides Forrest Gump, besides the Star Wars and stuff like that. But most of the movies that I love got killing and cussing because I just like 
killing and cussing. I like to see it. I'm a heathen. I don't care. So, Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie of all time. And Pulp Fiction is... Pulp Fiction takes you through every emotion. It takes you through every emotion. And that's why I like it. It takes you through comedy. People are like, ah, oh, it's Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is funny. To me, it's funny to me. It was funny from the jump. I laughed at Pulp Fiction. I laughed when, uh... When Samuel Jackson came out, I was like, look at this man. Look at his hair. He had a Jerry Fro. It was funny, yo. He had a Jerry Fro with long, big-ass sideburn, pork chop sideburns. That was funny. As soon as I saw him, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I was laughing. I thought it was funny when they went to Jimmy House. I thought Quentin Tarantino was funny. Then when you came to my house, did you see a sign that said dead nigga storage? I thought that was funny. Like, oh, shit. <clears throat> My bad. I thought it was funny when uh I thought it was funny that Bonnie was black. I couldn't believe Bonnie was black. When he was like, yo, you're gonna fuck up my shit if Bonnie comes home, he's like you're fucking my shit up right now. You're gonna fuck my shit up big time Bonnie comes home and I don't wanna get divorced. And then they show Bonnie come home and catch them with the nigga fucking catch him with the body and Bonnie was black. I was laughing. I thought that was funny that Bonnie was black. I don't know why, but it, it was funny. It's like that kind of humor. Or even the dynamic between Jules and Vince. You could tell, like, that they were kind of friends, but they were, like, kind of work friends and not real-life friends. You could tell, like, you know, Jules was getting irritated with Vince. He's like, Vince is a dickhead for real. Like, you could tell that he was like, this dude is ain't right. Like, Vince is a little bit of an asshole, but he good at what he do. I work with him. But you could tell they didn't, they had the dynamic where it was like, Jules was like, he, don't, he was like, man, I don't really want to work this motherfucker. Like, he looked at, he had the side eye on Vince. And Vince knew Jules had the side eye on him. And Vince, I don't think Vince particularly liked Jules either, but I think that they knew they had to work together, so they tried to, you know, make it work. They tried to be cordial with each other, be friendly, have a little bit of conversations in life. But it was obvious they had different views. Even the part about the um, massaging feet, it's like, massaging feet and sticking your tongue in the holiest of holies ain't the same fucking ballpark. And I'm like, yo, it's not. But the dialogue is so fucking funny between them two. And the connection between them two is funny. And I like that too. Um, you know, the humor with him killing people. Like, they could have won in and just killed those boys and got that briefcase out. But no, it, they had to do their whole little spiel. Their whole, you know, Samuel Jackson had to do his little shit. And Vincent don't like that shit. He probably was like, come on, man. Let's just kill these motherfuckers. Get out of here. But you could tell Vincent wasn't a part of that. He was just chilling. Even when Samuel had Jack tried to get him a part of that. What do they call it, Vince? Eh, Royale jeans. He ain't really want to be involved in that. He wanted to kill the motherfuckers and go home. He wanted, probably had some heroin in his pocket or some dope. He probably wanted to go get high. He probably, man, come on, let's kill these motherfuckers so I can get high. Because he was getting high than a motherfucker in that movie. He was getting high and shit. So it had your comedy elements in there. Then it had your, it had a little bit of sense of horror in it. Like, um, like with her, um, with Mia overdosing. That was horrifying to me. Or when when Zed took uh took Bruce Willis and took uh Marcellus. When they took Bruce Willis and Marcellus and they tied them up, I didn't know what they was gonna do to them. I was scared. I was like, oh shit, what's gonna happen? My man Bruce Marcellus, what's gonna happen to him? It was kinda horrifying. It was kinda scary when Marcellus actually saw Bruce. Bruce in the car singing Captain Kangaroo. Marcellus sees him. Marcellus is like, yo, you motherfucker. I was like, oh shit. My heart, you know, jumped a little bit. Oh, shit. Something about to go down. So there was some elements of fear in that movie for me. There was some elements of fear in that film. So, um, you know, that took me through the ring a little bit. 
and, and rape is scary. Like, you know, Ben Ving Rhames is a big black man and he getting raped. And it's like, if somebody can rape Ving Rhames, somebody can definitely rape my little black ass. So it was like, oh shit, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be involved in none of that. I'm not going to no more motherfucking pawn shops. No, 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 no. This ain't right. I'm not going to no fucking pawn shops. You could forget it. You know what I mean? So, there's some elements of, um, of fear in that movie. But a comedy invented too. I was laughing. Um, and then there was drama in there. There was drama in there. Like when she, when Mia overdosed, that was drama. That was dramatic. You know what I'm saying? There was a lot of stuff in that movie that, you know, you go through every range of emotions in that film. And I liked I was also scared. I was scared because I was sad. Because um, I went through a sadness because when I thought Mia was dead. When she overdosed, I thought she was going to die. When he said, don't die on me, Mia. And they went to the boy house. I thought Mia was dead. I thought it was funny. Eric Stoltz was, uh, Eric Stoltz was funny. And they're eating cereal in the middle of the night. That's some drug dealer shit. Eating cereal in the middle of the night. That was funny, too. So, um, and then I thought, yeah, like I said, I was sad. I thought Mia died. And I was like, damn, Mia's dead. Then I was thinking about what Marcella's going to do. I'm like, damn, Vince had to take her out on a date for a minute. He couldn't even do that right. She on drugs. He killed her. And now... He going, and now I don't know what Marcella's going to do to Vince. So I'm like, oh my God, you know, Vince, my, me is dead. Marcellus is going to fucking kill Vince. This movie going crazy. But Mia wasn't dead. They brought her back to life. And then you go through that emotion too. Like, oh God, yes. You're so happy. you relieved that Mia's not dead. That movie takes you through all of the emotions. And I even feel bad for um Honey Bunny. I feel bad for Honey Bunny. They go to rob that, that restaurant and they go to rob that little diner and um and Honey Bunny's up there and Honey Bunny's got her gun and now the Samuel Jackson got to drop on her man and he's got the gun to his face and he gonna kill him. And now Vincent Vega got to drop on her and he got the gun to her face uh, to uh, point it on her. And now in her mind, she's like, yo, we dead as fuck. I know Honey Bunny thought that they was dead as fuck. Because he's like, Samuel Jackson's like, I'm going to shoot this motherfucker, you know, if Honey Bunny don't shut the fuck up. And uh, her, her man's like, Honey Bunny, be cool, Honey Bunny. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, you about to get me killed. And Honey Bunny's sitting there like, if you kill him, I'm going to kill you. And she realizes that if she shoots that Samuel Jackson, that Vince got the drop on her, she's dead. She can't shoot both of them. And her man can't help her. So Honey Bunny was in a situation up there. Where she knew that her and her husband or her man or whoever he was would ride or die. They was going to be dead as fuck in a minute. They was going to be both dead. She knew it. And all she and she couldn't give up on her man. Like she could have put that gun down and been like, yo, listen. I'm done. I'm out. I ain't doing this. I don't want to do this. But she didn't. She didn't do that. She, she stood by her man. And, and ride or die like she was supposed to. Even though the die part was going to be more than the ride part. But she's still buying. But you can could, you could sense, like the way Tarantino directs, like you can sense the fear in her. You can sense it in her voice. You can sense it in her mind. The way she was holding that gun. Like she was scared. And you can, you, you know, you can sense the fear in her. So it was like, that was scary. And that was bad. And I felt for her. I felt sorry for her. Like on, on that level. Like damn, you know. Honey Bunny's in trouble. So that movie takes you through the motions. And it was just a great movie. And I really enjoyed it a lot. And um, and so yeah. That's my favorite movie of all time. And it takes you through the motions. And it, and it, and it, and it, and it takes the stories. I like how he splits the stories up. 
you know, people get confused by it, but I like how he splits the stories up. And then it made for more fun. Because then everybody was looking around to see if they had a Pulp Fiction that went linear, that went the right way, and they didn't. But they looked around to make sure that they could find it. Or everybody tried to piece it together. Everybody had their little theories and their little cooler talk about, yo, this supposed to happen, then this happened, this happened. Sometimes you had to go, I like the fact that I had to go home and explain it to my wife. I had to go home and say, hey, hon, this is how the movie went. Or explain it to your girlfriend, whoever. You know, you got to explain it. So you got to say, hey, this is, they, I don't understand. What, what happened? How, how is he still alive? I thought this was dead. Why is he still alive in the movie? You got to explain it a little bit. You know, but it's cool because I like that. I like that a little bit. It made it, it made it a lot more interesting. It made it uh, come to life a little more. And then you... um. Christopher Walken too. Christopher Walken was so funny to me because he talked so slow and he's so calm. But he's telling Bruce Willis about how he had to had that gun up his ass that whole time. Oh, I had to have this, not the gun, uh, the watch. The watch it was the watch. Oh, uh, your dad had this watch up his ass, and then I had to have this watch up my ass too, just to get it to you. I thought that was crazy too. So there's a lot of elements in this film that I like, and this is why I picked it as my greatest film of all time. And this is why I really um enjoy Pulp Fiction and this is why I'm really like a Tarantino fan I didn't see Reservoir Dogs before I saw Pulp Fiction you know so I had to go back and say oh well Tarantino's cool as shit what's up with him and then that's when I uh, had to see Reservoir Dogs and I had to find out what was up with him but um I'm gonna go to uh you know what I'm gonna take my commercial now even though I usually take it like within an hour but I'm gonna take it now I'm gonna go to commercial break and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get into the rest of Quentin Tarantino's films. I don't, I, I spent a half an hour on Tarantino and on Pulp Fiction. And so um, I'm not going to spend that much time on all the other movies. I just wanted to get Pulp Fiction out there because I think it was the greatest movie of all time. And I wanted to give it more time. I wanted to give it more props because it deserves more props than the rest of his other movies. Even though I know that he has other movies. And he has nine other movies that I got to get to. And I'm going to get to them. But right now... I'm going to pay these bills, so I'll see you on the other side, and here's a word from my sponsor. Welcome back. Now, I told you that I like Tarantino, and I told you that Pulp Fiction is my favorite, and I explained to you why, so now I'm going to get into the next movie I'm going to get into is Kill Bill. And I know Kill Bill is in volumes one and two, and I know why. Quentin Tarantino made Kill Bill, and he said he made it as one movie, but then he realized people can't watch a movie for four hours. They got new seats in the movie theater that's all comfortable and shit. It's dark in there. People barely watch two-hour movies without falling asleep. You going to give them a four-hour film? No, they're going to be asleep. Nobody's never going to get done with that movie in the theaters. You put a four-hour film in the theaters and nobody's going to watch it. Critics ain't being able, going to be able to criticize because they're going to say, oh, we didn't even finish the movie. I was asleep. With the comfortable chairs, and now they serve food in the theaters. You'll be eating a hamburger, cheeseburger, french fries, onion rings, milkshake in the theater. And now you're leaning back in a cushiony chair that you can damn near lay down in. Like you can damn near make a bed out of these movie theater chairs. So, Quentin Tarantino knew that a four-hour movie is never going to get seen in theaters. And, and, and so, he decided to cut that shit in half and make two movies out of the one movie and I commend them for that good idea Quentin I'm glad you did it now let's get into Kill Bill I love the Kill Bill movies I love it because Uma Thurman is good actress uh, she was believable 
You know what I mean? She's a good actress. And then he put good people in it. Like, they didn't even have to do much. You know what I mean? It wasn't much for them to do in that movie. It wasn't a lot of dialogue. It wasn't a lot of talking. It wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, this wasn't a hard movie to make. But it was still fun. It was one of those movies that is fun. And people want to talk about the bullshit. People want to talk about, oh, the killing was corny. It was too gory. The killing was corny. How she kill all those people and do all this and this and that. And she's a skinny little white lady. And no, I don't like it. I don't like it. But it's not for you. It's fun. It's fun. I didn't give a fuck. I wasn't analyzing it like that. Like, damn, there's no way this white woman could kill all these people. Damn, look at all these men in there with swords and how that crazy 88. Now, listen, it is don't make sense. The crazy 88 is her gang and these motherfuckers can't fight at all. They the crazy 88, they her gang, and she took over this whole empire. And you got 88, crazy 88, or whatever, how many of them it is, and, and, and they call the crazy 88s, and they all over the place. And they can't fight at all. These motherfuckers just going in and just getting chopped the fuck up. They, I mean, not putting up no fight. They not even, it's a whole bunch of them. And they not even touching this bitch. Like, she's fucking them all up. It's not real, though. It's a movie, and it's fun to watch. It was fun to watch her chop all them motherfuckers up. You know what I mean? It was fun. And then, like I said, the comedic elements. Her and Vivica in there. I thought her and Vivica fight was so funny because soon as she knocked on the door. And I like when Tarantino scored that movie. You know, it's like, that door, you know, soon as you hear that, that is on. It's on like popcorn. Soon as that bitch opened the door, it was on. Bam. Bam. And they was fighting and killing each other, like getting it on, trying to kill each other. And I like that uh, Vivica had the... um, the gun in the cereal box. And I'm like, damn, why Vivica got a gun in the cereal box? You find out later why Vivica got a gun in the cereal box. But at the time, when I first saw it, I was like, this bitch got a gun in the cereal box. Like, is she crazy? Like, I thought she was done with that fucking life. But she ain't done with that life because she got guns in her kid's cereal. Who puts guns in their kid's cereal? So I'm like, damn, Vivica's still gangster. But... You, you know why she did it now at the end once you watch the whole movie you realize that she did it and I'll get into why she did it in a minute but I like the cartoon I like the fight with Vivica though hold on you know what else I liked about the fight with Vivica Vivica is not too bright because if you watch the beginning of the movie you know that she was pregnant when they did that shit to her she was about to get married and she was pregnant when they did that shit to her right so they killed her whole fiance, her whole, you know, his family, everybody at the wedding. And then they they shot her in the head and she was pregnant when they did all that shit. As far as she know, she don't got no baby. She don't got no husband. She don't got no, no, that's it. Her whole family wiped out. She ain't had nobody left in the world but herself. So when Vivica's like, don't kill me because I got a daughter. It's like, what, bitch? I was sitting there thinking like, bitch, you crazy. She would have had a daughter too. Like, who you think? Like, she don't give a fuck. And sure enough, and sure enough, sure enough, she did not give a fuck. She was like, bitch, no. You want, I want to get even with you. And you want us to be even, Steven. <clears throat> For us to be even, Steven, I got to kill you. I got to kill your husband. I got to kill your, your daughter. I might have to kill that fucking dog. Like, no, we ain't, no, bro. No, I'm killing everybody. That'll make it even. But I'm not trying to get even. I just don't like, I'm just going to kill you. Your daughter, your husband, they cool. The dog cool. You just gonna die, you know? And then um, she told the little young buck, like, look, I, you know, I killed your mom, yup. You feel sorry about it? I'm waiting for you, bitch. Like, I'm ready. 
So I thought that was good too. Then I thought the cartoon was good. The whole describing um Ishii story or Ren's story and they did the whole cartoon thing. I thought that cartoon was banging. I thought the whole movie could have been a cartoon. I'm like, damn, he could have made Kill Bill a whole cartoon. The way this cartoon was, good animation, good story, gore. That cartoon was gory as shit. I mean that bullet was taking motherfuckers' heads off. That cartoon was good. And it just and the way her dad was fighting his ass off trying trying to be cool. I like that cartoon a lot. I like the way they describe Oren's story. I liked all of that. I liked her fighting the, the crazy 88. I liked the killing. I liked them getting that on. It was fun. It was fun to watch. That movie was fun to watch. I liked when she got out the hospital. And you know what's funny? You know it was real funny? I saw that part when she was in the hospital. When Buck was getting paid to let them motherfuckers fuck her comatose body. I was disturbed by that. I was like, yo, do the fuck do people do that? Is it people in this world that go to hospitals and fuck coma patients? And then I thought about it like, yeah, it probably is. It probably is sick motherfuckers in this world that go and do that. But the thing is, Buck, that like the fuck, he got killed. And I was glad he got killed. Because I'm like, if you do something like that, man, you deserve to die. But guess what? If Buck had just been a regular nurse, he wouldn't have got killed. And his Achilles would have still got cut the fuck off. Because when she woke up, she was just like, she killed the motherfucker. And then she was just like, where's Bill? Where's Bill? But if Buck would have just been a normal nurse, he would have just been like, I don't know Bill. Like when she cut his Achilles and he fell on the floor and she was like, where's Bill? Buck could have just been like, I don't know Bill, bitch. I do not know Bill. I'm the guy that changed your pee-pee bag and, and put the tools in so you can eat. That's me. That's it. And she would have been like, oh, yeah, you in the nice, you, you changed the pee-pee bag. Let me, okay, I'm, I'm sorry I cut your Achilles out. Let me borrow your car. She wouldn't have killed him. Let me borrow your car. I got to get the fuck out of here. You know, he probably would have lived. But he didn't live because when she remembered him, she was like, oh, yeah, he don't know Bill. But wait, 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 wait. Ain't you Buck? You Buck, right? Yeah, you like the fuck, right? Yeah, but Buck that like the fuck, right? And so Buck that like the fuck got killed. If Buck didn't like the fuck, he would be alive. He might not be walking right, but that motherfucker would not be dead, I don't think. I don't think she would have killed somebody that just um, gave her a fever too and changed her PP bag. I don't think he would have killed her. But then I like the uh, I like too at the end at the fight that she took the uh, the lawyer bitch Sophie, she took her and that bitch didn't really do nothing. Even at the fight at the wedding, all that bitch did was laugh. But she remembered her laughing. It was like bam, she fell in the bathroom, bam, 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 bam. Bitch, you was laughing when they did that shit. You was with them. You ain't touch me. You ain't fight because you ain't a fighting bitch. But you was laughing. So bitch, you part of them fuck you up. Cause you fucked her up. She ain't killed. I'm like, damn, why she ain't kill that bitch? She must like her or something. She gonna leave her alive, cut her arms off, but she left her alive. She left that bitch alive. And then the bad thing I didn't like about that movie was the fight with Oren. I thought that fight should have been way better. I was like, okay, her and Oren really gonna get it on. I mean, I saw this bitch get it on with Vivica. I saw this bitch fight all these 88 things. I saw that bitch fight. I thought that um her fight with Oren should have been better just because of her fight with Go-Go. Go-Go came out there, and I thought she was going to destroy Go-Go. I didn't think Go-Go had a chance. Soon as Go-Go walked out there, you know, the bride, um, and Beatrice was like, listen, bitch, you don't want to fight this fight for Oren. She ain't worth it. Oren is not worth what's about to happen to you. So I thought she was just going to fuck Go-Go up. Go-Go had her on the ropes. Go-Go almost had this bitch dead. Like, for real, for real, she got lucky. The bride got lucky as shit that she won that fight with Gogo because she was about she was about done. I was like, oh shit, Gogo got this bitch. Now you know Gogo ain't gonna kill her because it's a movie, and you know Brian gotta win at the end. But I was like, damn, how's she getting out of this? 
Somebody ain't gonna save her. Something bad gonna happen. Or Ren gonna stop Gogo so she can fucking kill her. I don't know. But I thought Gogo had it dead. So I'm basing it on them previous fights. That damn, this fight with Ren is gonna be like some major league shit. Like, oh, we about to get it on. It was slow. It was quiet. <clears throat> I didn't like that fight at all. I just didn't. So that's the only beef that I had with Kill Bill Volume 1 is that I didn't like that fight. And then I realized when she mutilated that girl, she wanted them to see how bad, how vicious she was. And she told them, I want them to know. I want you to tell them all. And that's why Vivica had that gun in that cereal box. She had that gun in that cereal box because she knew Beatrice was coming. And she knew Beatrice was going to be able to find her. She knew she was coming. So she was like, look, I got to be prepared for Beatrice. She probably had weapons other places. We just didn't never get a chance to find out. But she had a gun in that cereal box for her ass, yo. She was waiting for her. And the thing is, like, she wanted them to know. And she wanted them to know. She told that bitch. And she mutilated that bitch so that that bitch can, so that it could be like, yo, I'm fucking serious. And Oren is dead. I scalped her ass. I'm serious. I'm coming for you motherfuckers. I'm going to kill Bill. And then, you know what? Bill must have been a real dickhead. Like, a real asshole. Because everybody hates him. Everybody hated him. Like, the bull said he was never going to make no more swords again. He said, how Tori Hanzo said, I'm not making no more swords again. Swords kill people, and I hate swords, and I'm not making not one more. She said, I need one so I can kill Bill with. He's like, right away. You can stay here. You can live here. Eat here. Stay here. I'm making this motherfucking sword. I need you to kill Bill, too, bitch. I need him dead. Yeah, let's right. Let's kill Bill. Fucking Let's kill him. And then, a lot of people didn't like Kill Bill Volume 2. They, I guess because they was expecting a lot of action. They was expecting it to be like Volume 1, and I didn't. I was like, yeah, okay. I liked it. I thought that Kill Bill Volume 2 was better than Volume 1. Because of the dialogue, because of the uh, the way it was set up, because of the way Bill walked up on him, and how he was at the wedding, how she was like, Bill, please, you know, begging him, please, don't do this. I just want to be free. I just want to be away from the situation. And Bill's like, bitch, I thought you was dead. You know how that feel to think somebody you love is dead, bitch? You know how this feel? Like, no, no, fuck, no. Okay, no, you're not about to marry this motherfucker be out here. No, no. I'm killing all of y'all. And then, you know, you was you get the backstory. You get the backstory about why um, she was pregnant, why she even left. You get all of the details of what went on. And I thought that that was great. What I didn't like was that um, I don't like how they treated Bud. I don't like how they treated Michael Manson's character. You know, this guy was a killer, a trained killer. And it, it goes back to hating Bill. He hated his brother so much that he didn't want nothing from him. Vivica was living a nice life. Oren had a bunch of money. Bill was chilling. Daryl Hannah had a million dollars she could just pack up and bring to the bull crib. At one time, a million dollars. So everybody who was part of this gang, part of these assassins, all of these motherfuckers that was part of this assassin, these crews, black, black mom and all them, they was all chilling. Everybody had money. Even Beatrice still had money. She was in a coma for four years and she still had money. She was flying over places, buying swords, paying for food, renting cars, doing all kinds of shit. She still had money. She had a secret stash, still secretly stash. So all of these people still had um, money and was doing good and but living like a bum. He was living like that because he didn't want nothing from his brother. After he got out, he was like, fuck you, Bill. I don't want nothing from you. But he still loved his brother enough to kill Beatrice. He said she deserves her revenge. What we did to her was bad. She deserves her revenge. She deserves to kill us. But she deserved to die, too. And why does she deserve to die? He didn't say, He didn't tell her that he killed her, that he wanted her dead because of uh, all the shit she did, killing people and shit for a living. 
being in general a murderer and a bad person. No. He wanted her dead and she deserved to die because she broke his brother's heart. And even though he was having beef with his brother or whatever, he hated him. But he did not. He still wanted to kill her. And he made it quite clear, I'm doing this because you broke my brother's heart. So he still loves his brother enough that he was going to kill that bitch. And I like what he said. He said, listen, man, I don't give a fuck. If this bitch want to get in a fight with me, she know where I'm at. She coming after the thing. She going to come. And me and her going to be in a fucking fight. And I don't care. I don't need your help. Like, get the fuck away from me. And I thought that was cool. But I just thought that Bud went out without even... We don't even know if Bud could fight. We never found out nothing about Bud's, like, actual killing ability. We saw him walk up with the gun. We saw him as part of that crowd. But we don't know what Bud could do. I wanted the Bud to get in the rumble. At least fight Daryl Hannah. I thought... When she came there and she put that snake in there, that at least he was going to get the uh, to rumbling. I thought at least he was going to have a few minutes where he was going to sock the bitch or kick her or she was going to have to something. He didn't get not one fight. Even his fight with bitches, he didn't fight her. He shot her ass up with the rock salt, put her in the grave. And that was scary too. He buried her alive. Mary had a fuck alive. And I like what he said to her too. Like, bitch, I was going to give you a flashlight. You could look around the coffin a little bit, whatever. But, bitch, if you don't stop acting a fool, I'm going to spray this whole can of mace in your eyes. And then you're going to be blind and burning and buried alive, bitch. So what's your choice? You want this fucking flashlight or you want this? You want to be burning and shit? Either way, you're going in the ground. He told her, like, it don't matter what you do. You're going in the ground tonight. You cannot get out of it. I got you. You shower rock salt, you heavily sedated, bitch, you will be going into the ground. There's no range, no way around it, so don't fight, don't swerve, just, just let it happen, or else you're going to be going into the ground worse than you are going into the ground right now. And that was cool of him to do. I thought that was humane of him, and uh, whatever. I don't like the way he went out. Daryl Hannah, now that, <clears throat> I like that. I like that fight. And I understand why she killed him. She's like, I'm her biggest threat. I'm her biggest threat. I'm the one that did the training with Pai Mei and did all of that shit. I'm the one that know how to run with this bitch. Vivica wasn't shit. She fucked that bitch up. Over and wasn't shit. She fucked that bitch up. She ain't gonna, she can't fuck me up. Okay, I'm the one that's gonna, I'm the one that's the best out of y'all. I'm the one that was the best. And I'm gonna get this bitch. And then it's like, oh, you get her? You? You piece of shit, you can't even fight. You can't even fight. You a piece of shit, you a scumbag drunk, and you get to kill this bitch. And I've been waiting to kill her my whole life because she was fucking my mans and them. I wanted to be fucking Bill. I wanted to be his lady. And he gave it to her first. And then to come to find out he impregnated this bitch and he got her kid. That kid is hers and his when I want that baby to be mine. And now I come back to find out you killed the bitch. The bitch that I hate. The bitch that Bill stopped me from killing a long time ago? Uh-uh, motherfucker. I understand why she was mad. I understand. And that fight with her and Beatrice was the fight I wanted Beatrice to have with O'Ren. That fight was vicious. And Daryl Hannah put the work in. She put the work in on it, too. They got it on. And I wanted to see that sword fight. When they both had them Hanzo swords, I said, Okay, player, I wanted to see that sword fight. But uh, Beatrice pulled her eye out, and that was funny. That was worse. But she stepped on it. She stepped on it. Squished it. I was like, oh, shit. And then I like the fact that we don't know if uh, if, if Daryl Hannah even died. We don't even know if she died because 
You know what I'm saying? She um she just got her eye out. She was still in that thing with the money. She's still in there chilling. And I mean, the snake is in there, but we don't know if the snake bit her or didn't bite her. We don't know if she alive or dead. And even at the end of the movie, when they said, when they crossed everybody out, they put a question mark over her name. Her name popped up and said question mark. We don't know. And I guess maybe Quentin was setting up to maybe do a Kill Bill 3 and have her in it or something. We don't know. But I like the fact that she was still alive. I like the fact that Beatrix left her alive. I thought that was cool. Like, you know what? I'm going to leave this bitch in here and let her suffer. She probably going to bleed out or something. She might die. I don't care. If she comes back for me, I'm ready for her. This bitch don't got no eyes. She not ready to fight me. She's completely blind. She can't run with me. Plus, that snake might bite her ass. Plus, she might have been saying that you let Bud get bit by a snake. Bitch, you can get bit by that same snake, too. You could die by your own hand. I don't know, but that was cool. And then she went to Bill. She found Bill. And I like the fact that the boy told her where Bill was at. Content Villa Hell, whatever his name was. Villa Hell, whatever his name was. The old, the boy that was like the father figure the Bill he told on him. And everybody was like, oh, he a snitch, he a snitch. No, he ain't a snitch. He said, she tell, he told her, Bill want me to tell you where he at. And if I tell if I don't tell you where you at, you're never going to see him. He's never going to see you again. So he wanted me to know. So he goes in on her. Bill goes there. And I don't like that last fight with Bill. I like the fact that she used the five thing technique because Bill didn't even know it. And he didn't even teach Bill that, so it, it shows that Pyme enjoyed her. Like, like even Pyme liked her more than Bill liked her. I mean, more than he liked Bill. You know what I mean? So that was cute. But I thought that they should have had a better rumble too. You know? But he did find out the truth. He did find out the truth, and he did understand. He was kind of like understanding of what happened to her, you know? And she had BB. The baby wasn't dead. I like that. So that's it for the Kill Bills. I like them. Now, these other movies ain't going to get it all in. I'm going to tell you right now that uh, Reservoir Dogs, I really like that. Reservoir Dogs can get it. Reservoir Dogs was crazy. Mr. Blind and all them. And it was a setup. And I was scared because I was like, oh, man, I was scared because he was a cop. And he told the cop boy that he was the undercover cop and all that, Mr. Orange or whatever. I forget, I, Mr. Brown, Orange, all that. Quentin Tarantino was Mr. Brown, but Mr. Orange and all them colors and then, you know. But Mark, oh, Mike Madsen was crazy in there. Cut the boy ear off. He was about to set that motherfucker on fire and shit. It was a good movie. It was a caper. It was a good movie. It was bloody. It was crazy. And um, it was fucked up. I liked it. Reservoir Dogs was really good. A lot of cussing, a lot of killing. It was up my alley. It was a good film. I mean, I don't have nothing bad to say about Reservoir Dogs for real. I don't have nothing bad to say about it. It was entertaining. Um, everybody was good that acted in it. And it was understandable. I mean, it got a little bit confusing. You had to you had to really listen and watch. But that's all Tarantino films. So I'm saying, uh, you know, Reservoir Dogs was a good look. Then you got uh, Inglorious Bastards. I wasn't too into Inglorious Bastards. I ain't gonna lie about that. I mean, it was crazy. It was interesting. It was crazy the way that you know with all the Nazi shit and all that and the Squasica shit and the, and then who's backstabbing who and the girl. The girl did all that. Got got away. And set that whole theater up so she can kill all them motherfuckers. And then it, it kind of like went sideways because they figured out who she was and she had to die too. It was just crazy. But it was good again. Brad Pitt was in it. I like Brad Pitt. So I like, um, I did like Inglorious Bastards a lot. I enjoyed watching it. It's, it's not a bad movie at all. Um, so yeah, I like that. Uh, whatever. What's the other ones? The other ones. Um, Jackie Brown. 
Uh, Jackie Brown was okay. I like Pam Greer. I like it that it was an homage to black exploitation movies. I like uh, what's the name Robert De Niro was funny in there. I like Robert De Niro was funny. I like Samuel Jackson. And once again, Samuel Jackson fucked up ass hair. I was laughing at that shit again. Laughing at his hair. I like the fact that Pam Greer had kids and she was the bus driver or whatever. I mean, uh, what was she? She was like a stewardess. I don't remember. But I like Pam Greer in the movie. I like uh, uh, how she was. I like Samuel Jackson in the movie. I like his hair was fucked up. That was funny. That was funny to me too. His hair was fucked up. And then I like when uh when he Samuel Jackson was looking for the girl and he's like, what happened to her? He's like, oh, I killed, I shot her. Like you killed the bitch. Like why you kill him? <laughs> you know what I mean? I like that. That shit was funny. I like the comedy in that. I know it's not funny that somebody died, but that shit was a funny. I like that. Jackie Brown though, but that's not like I said. Some of his movies is not the greatest. And so Jackie Brown was one of those where I was like, ah. Now, um, the other ones, what is it? He had Death Proof. He had Django. The Django, the D is silent. And he had um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, so let me just say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was decent. It was a decent movie. I like the casting. I like the boy that played Bruce Lee. Like, he really looked like Bruce Lee. And that whole little Bruce Lee scene, it was minor, but that was a cool scene. I like the way the Manson family was, like, in it and in the background and, like, sneaky and shit. I like the way that he had the Manson family. Like, really, they was going to kill Sharon Tate. And then they decided not to kill Sharon Tate on that night and go kill the other boy. And then <laughs> they got fucked up and the dog attacked him and all that. And then they was like, fuck it, we can't kill this boy. We gotta go back. We gotta kill Sharon Tate. We gotta go back and kill Sharon Tate. I like the fact that he had the real Sharon Tate in the movie. He had her real scene in the movie and the girl. I like the fact that he made Sharon Tate go to the movie to actually watch herself in the movie. Like, she went to go see herself in the movie to tell people, like, that's me right there. I'm the, cl- I'm the one falling down. That's me. You know what I mean? I thought that was cool that he had the real Sharon Tate in the movie. You know, that was an element that I thought was cool. No, Leonardo is really good. Leonardo's a good fucking actor. He gets, like I said, he got the homies. He got Brad Pitt back. He got Leonardo back after he had him in Django. He had Brad Pitt in his glorious bastards. He goes and gets his homies. If you do a good movie for, um, for Quentin Tarantino, you're going to be in another one. I like that. I like that he went and got his homies. But, um, yeah, like I said, uh, that movie was pretty decent. I, I'm sorry if I spoiled some of it for some of y'all because I know some of y'all didn't see it, but that movie was um okay. And then you got Django and Death Proof. Now, I'm I'm ranking Django up there. I'm ranking that up there. I'm thinking that's one of his best. Django was so funny and so good that I'm going to rank that up there as one of his best. I really, 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 really like Django. And I like... Um, Jamie uh, Jamie Foxx was really good. I mean, Django is just a good movie. I liked it. I like the slave element of it. People don't like slavery movies, but I like the slave element of it, and I like the fact that Django was like more like a vindicated slave. Like he got away, and he got to do what every slave wants to do. He got to kill white people, got rewarded for it, got paid for it, got his wife back, and I like the whole love story. I like the whole story of how you know he loved his woman so much that he was going to go through whatever and he was going to get his lady. And I like that. And I thought that Ku Klux Klan scene was the funniest, one of the funniest scenes in movies ever. When it was all like, you know, my wife made these masks and they didn't have no holes in for the eyes and they couldn't see. And then the boy, the compromise was, okay, we're not going to wear these masks tonight. 
But the next time we do some shit like this, we're going to put these masks on. We're going to get the eye holes and we're going to make them right. And it's like, yo, they was blatantly admitting, like, this ain't over. Like, we're going to do some more clan shit. We're going to, like, they're basically saying, like, the clan is starting right now. We're going to do a lot more clan shit. And I thought that that shit was funny. And um, Samuel Jackson was in it. And I did not like him at all. But I get it. I get that he was the house nigga and that he had to do all that. I get it. And Leonardo DiCaprio's character was so over-the-top funny. Like, he was funny. And he was over-the-top. But I guess that's how them, them guys did act back then. I don't know. But I put Django as one of the uh, high-rated films. I liked it a lot. I enjoyed it. I laughed. I was sad when, when Samuel Jackson found out that she knew him. I was sad. That, that shit was kind of sad and scary. And the slavery elements were sad. Like, when they was making them two big black slaves fight. And they was making them fight to the death and all that. That was sad. And that was bad. And I didn't like that. But, I mean, that was a part of it. And that's a part of the history. And that's a part of slavery. And like I said, Quentin Tarantino's a movie buff. So he gets into that. So I understand why I was in the film. But, I, yeah, that's a little bit queasy for me. That was a little bit something that I didn't need to see. And then, um... I like the fact that the shit hit the fan. I like the fact that when they found out that they was being bamboozled and all that, that the guy was just like, okay, it's time to kill motherfuckers. Shit done hit the fan, and we got to kill people. Django, you got to kill motherfuckers and get out of here. The shit has hit the fan, and people got to die. And I love when people got to die in the movies. Like I said, I love killing and cussing. So when in a Quentin Tarantino film, when people got to die, you know people got to die. You know, some motherfuckers is going down and it's going out and that's what's happening. I like at the end that he made the horse do the little dance and shit. Like, that shit was funny. And Jamie Foxx was good. I mean, Django is like really um, one of his best films. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed watching it. It's not on the level of Pulp Fiction and I don't know where I rank it as far as like whether it's better than the Kill Bills or not. But Django, I, I put Django up there. You know, like I said, I put Django up there. Like I said, Jackie Brown was down for me. I don't know. And Glorious Bastards was a good movie. Good, but not great. Reservoir Dogs was great. I liked it. I enjoyed it a lot, like I said. But I'm putting Django up there. I'm thinking Django is better than all of them. I'm thinking Django is better than all of them. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was decent. But, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't enough killing and cussing in that. I mean, well, cussing, yeah. But not the killing. It wasn't a lot of killing. It was like the Manson gang and, and some other bullshit. But that movie not up there. But Django is up there. And then you got uh, Death Proof. Oh, and you got The Hateful Eight. Now, let me get into Death Proof. A lot of people don't even know about Death Proof. It was advertised on that Grindhouse uh, thing. And it was it was like a, a double feature. So it was Death Proof and uh, Planet something. I don't know what the... Uh, I forgot what the other one was called, but it was Death Proof, and then it was the other movie with the uh, the aliens and all that crazy shit going on, and Rose McGowan had that um, gun leg. That movie was good. That Grindhouse whole thing was good. That movie with Rose McGowan and, the, and the, she had the gun on her leg and the aliens, I think there was aliens or some kind of monsters or something. I, for, I forget. Really? But I know I have fun watching the movie, but it's not something you really want to watch again. It was like a uh, a B-horror film, kind of. And Tarantino didn't really do that. You know, that wasn't his half of the grindhouse. His half of the grindhouse was Death Proof. So I'm going to go into Death Proof. I like Death Proof. I thought it was cool. 
Um, Stuntman Mike was cool. I thought that it was a decent movie. I thought that it was put in the grindhouse because it wasn't meant to be like a big production for Tarantino. It seemed like it was meant to be like one of his movies. It seemed like if streaming services was out back then, like Netflix and Hulu and all of those streaming services, if they was out back then, I think Death Proof would have probably went on to a screening service rather than in the theaters. Because I think it was just that kind of movie. I think it was the kind of movie that could have been like an HBO film or something like that. I don't think it was a movie that was worth um, going to the theaters to see. Because simply, it didn't really have no big names, you know, no big names in it, no big draws in it. I think it was Kurt Russell, but he was like, oh, you know, he wasn't a big draw at the time. So I don't think that this was a big name movie or like a movie for a big draw. I think if it would have been one straight to Netflix or been on a streaming service, like it would have done a lot better. Like people would know about it more. People probably would have watched it more, but it was a decent movie. I mean, this guy was like basically a psycho, basically get uh, young women in his car and, and, and kill them, kill them with his car. That's what he did. He killed them with his car and he found these radio bitches. I didn't like that because the radio bitches, I thought they were going to be like stars in the movie and they, they set them up as stars. They had them talking a lot. They followed them to the bar. They made it seem like they was going to be stars. He killed Lindsay Lohan straight from the gate. He put in the car. He was a buckle up, bitch. And killed her from the gate. Crashed the car. And he was a stuntman. So he knew how to crash the car where he can kill the passenger but not kill himself. That was kind of funny how he knew how to do that. But I thought that them, them bitches was going to be like a star of the movie. And then, and then... I see him crash him and he killed him. Legs come off, it's all gory. I'm like, oh man, these bitches is dead. Like, well, who? What? What the fuck? I was shocked by that. But then, um, I met the mother bitches and he used them again too. The, the stunt girl Zoe, he used her again in uh in the hateful eight. And I like her. She was funny and them girls was funny and they had the little cheerleading bitch with her and she was like not cool, but they tried to leave her at the bar. And I mean, the movie was good. I like that movie, and he hunted them down because he wanted to kill them so bad, and he followed them and hunted them down, and they found them. And he didn't know that these women were like uh, were stint women. He thought they was just regular girls that he could just kill, and then he, then he found out the hard way like these bitches ain't regular girls that you can just kill. You can't just run these girls down with your car, bro. They know how to drive. They know how to fight. So he, he met his match. And then I liked that at the end how, they, you know, they was all in the car and they was chilling. They was talking and they and they just act like it was normal. And then at the end, like, he tried to kill him and, at the, and they fucked him up. They rolled on my man and beat his ass. And, like, they barehanded killed him. And I thought that that was real crazy how they beat his ass, stopped my man out. I thought that was cool and funny. I had fun watching that movie. But like I said, it's not a movie that you put in the theaters for real. It was part of that grindhouse thing and that whole grindhouse thing. I enjoyed it. I got the DVDs. I watched it. I like it. And I, it was fun. It was a fun thing to watch. But like I said, it wasn't uh, all that. And it wasn't high up on, on, on dialogue. It wasn't high up on nothing. It wasn't really high up on anything. It was just funny and interesting a little bit and just fun to watch. It was just like, I think that that was Quentin Tarantino's like throwaway. Like, I'm going to make a bullshit ass movie for this grindhouse thing. And it worked out. That's proof. Is is a decent movie that a lot of people ain't seen, a lot of people ain't ain't heard about. But I like it. I have fun watching it, and that's it with that. Now we gotta go into the Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight, which is the last movie on the Tarantino list, and the Hateful Eight is um. Uh, 
I'll rank it up there high. I rank it up there high. I'm. I mean, you know what? I wasn't gonna do a rankings, but I'm gonna do a rankings. I'm gonna do a rankings right after I get into the hateful eight. The hateful eight, in my opinion, is a good movie. Now, a lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people didn't like it, but I really did like it. What I didn't like was the stagecoach thing. I think it was drawn out a little bit too much. I really do. I think it was drawn out a little bit too much. And I think that whole stagecoach scene, I mean, it was like 10 minutes of just showing them riding in the stagecoach. And I was bored as shit. I'm like, yo, is this movie going to start? All I'm seeing is horses riding in the snow. Stagecoach riding in the snow. All I'm seeing for like 10 minutes. And, then, and I know that's a tribute to the westerns, how the westerns always came on. You know how movies get used to come on? Movies used to come on like you you, you watch the, uh, like a TV show. You know how the TV shows have the intros? Well, movies used to have that shit too where you got to wait for the movie to come on. They stopped doing that shit because they realized people don't want to see that shit. People just want to get right into the movie. But Quentin Tarantino was going back to the old days of the Western where it's like, whatever. I don't know, but I just like, I was getting so bored watching that stagecoach thing. And then, like, I think they could have cut the dialogue in half on the stagecoach. Like, I understand you got to set the movie up. So you got to have uh, Kurt Russell and, uh, <clears throat> and Samuel L. Jackson talking, trying to, like, get to know the characters, set the movie up. Now, Mannix was good as shit. He brought the comedy to the film because he was funny. He was funny the whole time. He was funny in the stagecoach. He made that stagecoach scene a lot better for me. He was funny in the stagecoach when he was talking, you know, everybody was talking to him. He was talking and he didn't like the black guy. He was trying to convince him that, you know, his team was better or whatever. And then that black guy pulled the gun out and he was like, I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to take a nap now. He ain't fucking with that gun. He was like, I'm going to take a fucking nap now. You know what I mean? And I like the element of the girl. The girl was good in it too. Like she was good. Nasty little bitch. And, you know, the gang was coming and the Devon Greg or whatever they name was, the Diamond Hughes, whatever they gang was coming. And, and it, that was cool. I liked it. I liked it. But I just said it was drawn out a little bit. And the whole thing with him and, that, uh, and the white captain, with Samuel Jackson and the white captain, that was drawn out a little bit. I knew he was going to kill that old white man. But it was drawn out. And it was long, but I liked it. The dialogue was still good. The killing... He shot the white man and killing was still good. The killing was real good uh, at the end. And I like the fact that when they came in, I like the fact that, that, that we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know if the gang was going to show up later and kill them. We didn't know what happened to many of them. I mean, we knew many of them wasn't there. And we knew that that Mexican boy was lying, but we didn't know the real deal. We didn't know what really happened. So it was just some suspense there like, damn, what it did happen to many of them. You know, we ain't know who was working with her for real, but we knew somebody was working with her and they put it out there that somebody was working with her. And then I like Walter Grimes. He was like, I think that the ugly motherfucker is the one that was working with her. And that's you. And he didn't like that boy. He was like, you ugly. You the ugliest one. You was working with her. And Samuel Jackson was looking at the Mexican boy because the Mexican boy, he noticed she didn't like Mexicans. So he like, how is a Mexican up in her shop running her business when she don't like Mexicans and shit? But he really wanted to kill that white captain. And it was funny. Oh, it was so funny when Samuel Jackson was telling him this story about his son. He's like, you know my boy? Like, yeah, I know your boy. I know when he died. Like, you know when he died? And he thought he was being nice. He thought he was going to tell him a good story about his son. And he was just like, yeah, I know when he died. I killed that motherfucker. 
you know how I know when he died? Because I killed him. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, damn. Like, that's fucked up. You know what I mean? And it was fucked up. And then he gave that white man that gun. Like, I killed your son. I made him suck my dick. You know what I mean? Like, that shit was crazy. The way he set that up. And I like that. But um, if I had to say about that movie, I really like Walter Groggins playing Mannix. He was so funny. He was so funny in that movie. He was funny when he said, uh, when he was going to make a deal with her, and he said, I'm not making a deal with this bitch. And he was like, you know they poisoned the coffee. You saw me get a big old cup of that poison coffee, and bitch, you didn't say shit. You was going to let me drink it and die, so fuck you. Also, um, like the fact that he knew that that letter was fake. He was like, that letter fake as shit. He told on him. That letter fake as shit. No way Lincoln didn't write no letter to no fucking nigga. Like, get out my face. That letter fake as shit. You know what I mean? I like the fact that he thought that the ugly boy did it. I like the fact that he uh, he was at the end. He was like, I want to see that letter. I want to read that fucking letter. Like, they was on their deathbed about to die. And the only thing he said, look, man, I know I'm about to die. Let me read that fucking fake-ass letter, please. I like the fact that he really was the sheriff. Like, he wasn't lying. He really was the sheriff of the town. He really was like, yo, I'm really the fucking sheriff. Like, you're going to find out. And you're going to be salty about it. And you're going to be mad because... Uh, you know, you not you not in charge. You know what I mean. So I like all of that. You know, I I really enjoyed that movie. So um, so now I'm gonna just go ahead and get ready to end this podcast. But I'm gonna do my ranking. So y'all know Pulp Fiction is my number one, and I'm gonna have to go with probably like Kill Bill Volume Two is my number two, and then I'll put Django in between them, and then I'll put Kill Bill Volume One as the next one. And then I'll go Reservoir Dogs. And then after Reservoir Dogs, I guess I'll go uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Inglorious Bastards, Jackie Brown, and then Death Proof would just be my last one because I just don't think that Death Proof was that great. But those are the movies that I'm going with. Those are my rankings. And that's how I feel about his movies, and that's how I feel about Quentin Tarantino. And that's going to be the end of my um episode. And like I said before, if you want, you can leave voice messages and let me know what you think. And also, um, you can show some support and tell your family and your friends and everybody to listen to it. And this has been the Lisper Podcast, Quentin Tarantino episode, and I'm done. I'll see you later.